Timo works so hard for this church. Translates every week. He's the guy in the box usually. Leads the service, the, the Spanish-speaking service, sell, sometimes sell, sometimes service, right? It's a mixture, yeah. Does he work hard? Come on, let's, let's, let's thank Timo. Can we thank Timo? Thank you. We love you. We appreciate you, your family. You do so much for us. Thank you. Come on. I think we can do better. Come on. Thank you. Thank you, Timo. Thank you. Come on. Thank you. All right. I'll do more popsicles for everybody. <laughs> he said he's going to bring more lollipops next week because we all cheered for him. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, just uh, before we move on here, I just want to highlight this uh, 144 meeting. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit. Um, you know, we have a team of core leaders at our church that we call the 12s just because Jesus said 12, and we kind of laugh about it because it's actually more than 12, but it's all right. But we, have, we call them the 12s, and they're kind of the core leadership team, right? You see them everywhere, right? Justin and Aaliyah and, and Matt and Ann and, and all the team that are just working so hard, right? You see them everywhere. There's a big a group of them, and Kenny and Val, sorry, I'm not going to say everybody, but, you know, everyone. And, uh, and then... What about everyone else? Where is that next group of leaders who want to be a part of what's happening in the church and want to be a part of what's happening next? That's what we call the 144 meeting. And I wanted to actually personally invite you all. If you are interested in learning and knowing and being a part of what's going to happen next in Mercy Church this year and the years to come, and you're like, hey, I like this church. I want to be a part of it. You know, especially, you know, of course, because you're a cell leader, we kind of hope you want you to come, you know, because we want you to be part of that. You need to, you know, be a part of what's going on. But also, any of you who say, you know what, it's my year, it's my time. I want to be a part of what's happening next. I wanted to personally invite you. Can, would you be willing to come this Wednesday night, Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m., right here? We're going to have fun. We're going to envision. We're going to talk. We're going to connect. We're going to know each other. You're going to get to be seen and be known, and we're going to find out what God has to do in our church this year and in the years to come. You guys excited about that? And how you can be a part of it. You know, it's really what it's for. It's not for me. It's not for the, the team of 12. It's really for you to come and be a part. So please come and be a part if you would like to. We'd like to invite you. Okay, do you feel invited? All right, Tim is going to give you guys lollipops next week. So, uh, We have been doing a series in January. Do you remember it? In January, it was a good series. It was really fun. I thought it was really fun. Um, it was called... Uh, well, I just blanked on it. What was it called? <laughs> the beauty and wonder of life, right? And uh, the, the whole point of it was for us to remember, to remember how wonderful life is. And we have a new series now for February that we're calling The Best View in the World. Say that with me, The Best View in the World. Say it. And I'm just going to kick off what that means for us, what this title means, what the series means for us. Um, and the big question is, is God relevant in this world right now, right? Is God, is the church, is God relevant to your life? Does, he, does it matter? Does it matter in the world that you live in? When you go to work, when you go out of these doors, you go to work, your family, you have problems, you have excitement, you have ups, you have downs, you have left, you have right, you have upside down sometimes, right? Is God relevant in our lives? Is God relevant in our world right now? And if so, what does he have to say? What is his view of things, and how can it impact us? And that's why it's the best view, is because whose view is the best view? Well, let's think about it, because sometimes we think our view is the best view, right? My view is the most important. I have the, how many of you have ever had that kind of conversation with somebody, right? 
well, I see it this way. You know, my view is the best view, right? And other times someone else is telling you, no, my view, no, my view is the best view. How many of you have a finger wagger in your, in your friend group, right? You know, my view, it's my view, right? Maybe you're, oh, maybe you're the finger wagger. <laughs> and sometimes we like to tell God, don't we? Sometimes we like to tell God that our view is, is more important. But let's just look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says, now we see things imperfectly. Can we be honest? Raise your hand if you see things imperfectly. You may want to be honest in church. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, right, then when God gives us sight, then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. And uh, just think about that. God knows you completely. Isn't that kind of cool? Say it. God knows me completely. But I know me impartially. I know me partially, I mean, right? I know me partial, and God knows me complete. So whose view is the best view of your life? Well, we think it's us, but God's view is actually a more clear view of our world that we live in. God's view is a more clear view of the situations that we have every day. God's insight, right? We use the word insight because it has the word sight in it. God's view is actually more clear on all the matters that happen in our world and our life, is he relevant? Absolutely. Does that mean we always listen to him? Absolutely not, right? Sometimes we just forget that God's view is more clear. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9 and 10 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my way, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So if God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, right, then we need to acknowledge that, don't we? We need to acknowledge that God has a higher way of thinking and that we can learn to see things from his view. We can learn to see it from a different perspective, to see the world, to see our lives from God's perspective, okay, from a higher perspective instead of our perspective. And to think with the mind of Christ, the Bible calls it, right, to follow God is to live following his way of living. And I want to encourage you in this world to be a Christian means to follow the lifestyle of Jesus Christ, the lifestyle that God teaches us. It's not just about coming to church and sitting in your seat. It's not about the fact that you own a Bible or have 10,000 Bibles on your phone, right? It's not about the fact that you know about God. It's about the lifestyle that you're going to live with him. Are you going to choose to live a lifestyle of Christ that models after him. And that is the perspective, right? The best view in the world is about God's lifestyle perspective, right? The lifestyle of how we could, should, ought to, however you want to think about it, right? How we could see our lives differently. You guys ready for that? Does that sound like a good thing for the month of February? Can we, can we learn about God's view and perspective about our lives? Anyone ready? All right, elbow the person next to you gently and say, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to learn a little bit. You ready? I'm ready to learn a little bit. It's going to be a good time, okay? Okay, so this week is God's view of God. Say it out loud, as loud as you can. God's view of God. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Have you ever thought about what God thinks about himself? What God says about himself? How he sees his role in your life? how he sees his role in the world, his perspective of himself. 
Have you ever thought about that about yourself, right? You know, like, hey, I have a perspective. What's my view of me? What's my view of myself? Do you have a view of yourself? Sometimes we get in conflict with other people. Oftentimes when you compliment someone, how, how many of you are really good at receiving compliments? Yeah, I didn't think so. Right? It's easier to give a compliment than receive it, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, you'll walk up and you'll be like, hey, that looks really great. I like your glasses. I like your glasses. I was telling you earlier today, right? I like your glasses. Or, hey, that's a great dress. Or, you look, hey, man, you look cool. I like your shoes. Or whatever. We're like, oh, no thanks, you know? Because our view of ourself is a certain thing. And accepting someone else's view of us is kind of weird. But God has a view of himself. And sometimes our view of God is not his view of him. Right? Sometimes we can think things about God that maybe that's not who he really is. Sometimes we can think things about God just because we made him up in our own mind. Right? Or we, we can think about something and go, oh, God must be like this. My life's hard. God must be hard. Right? I don't feel God. He must be distant. Right? God is, is this or God is that. But let's learn about what God says about himself. Can we do that? Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Who do you say God is? Who do people in your family, who has taught you who God is, right? Who do people say Jesus is? When I went to Cal Poly, I, I moved up to the area to go to Cal Poly uh, many years ago now. And I was studying engineering and I was studying philosophy, right? Really crazy combination of things, very heady. I, th I wasn't following God at the time. I, I believed I was an atheist was the word that I would have said. I kind of became agnostic, which means I believe there was a God, but maybe I didn't, you know, he didn't know us. Or I, I kind of ran that whole gamut. I started studying religions. I, I studied all kinds of religions, everything but Christianity, right? Because I was like, ah, not, not Christianity. I was over it. I was done with it. I said, it's not real, right? And I began to study philosophy and study all these kinds of things. And it was really interesting because as I began to study and I begin to learn, I begin to read, I begin to listen to professors talking, I begin to read um, all these texts from other religions and all this kind of stuff. I realized that everybody agrees that Jesus was alive and that Jesus did miraculous things and he was really there, but everyone disagrees. The biggest disagreement in the history of the world was on who was Jesus? Who was Jesus really? And you can boil down every philosophy and every religion down to what they believe about Jesus. And that actually led me to Jesus, and I became a Christian because of it. Because I thought, wow, if there's one person who's the central figure in the history of the world, and everyone has an opinion about him, right? Doesn't everyone have an opinion about Jesus? I'll show you how everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Just go into a crowded space and say, I'd like to talk about Jesus. And you will see the reaction that everyone has an opinion about what you're about to do, right? <laughs> Can you imagine? Everyone has an opinion about Jesus, but who is willing to learn what Jesus said about himself? What is his view about who he is and what he was doing, right? Who did he say that he was? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Have I intrigued you enough? Are you willing to go on this journey with me? Think about how many times people have told you something about Jesus, 
Let's learn about it from him. We're going to learn from his own words, and we're going to learn about four, I, I call this, four life-changing statements from Jesus. Okay, and if you can learn, the, the, there's many more. Okay, we just don't have like 10 hours, but we're going to talk about it for the month, right? Four life-changing life statements about Jesus today, all right, that show that Jesus is relevant to your life. And the first one is, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Right, this is Jesus talking, right? If you have a Bible, is it highlighted in red because Jesus speaking. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Wow. Jesus just gave us a path, a path on how we can know God and how we can get close to God and how we can experience God and how we can know what God thinks, what he believes, who he is and what he's all about. And it's very simple because all we need to do is learn about Jesus, right? Jesus is the way. What's the way? Have you ever been in your life, you're like, God, what is the way forward? Jesus is the way, right? You learn about Jesus. If you learn how to know what Jesus is, who he is, what he did, how he came, he died on the cross for our sins. What does that have to do anything? It is the way, right? That he came and he sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Bible calls him, right? To us so that we can live in the presence of God. What does that have to do? It's because it's the way, right? If you go, know, what is the truth this world, people like to call it, especially when I was studying philosophy, it's like, what is truth, right? Even Pilate asked that of Jude, what is truth, Right? You want to know what the truth is? Jesus is the truth, right? That's what he says about himself, right? He's the way, the truth. What about life? He's the life, right? You want to have a great life? He's the life. He's the inception of life. He breathed life in. He created mankind. He breathed life into us, right? He created all things. And if you want to know what this world is about and how to make your way through it, and to find the truth in the midst of it as you live your life, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're willing to look for Jesus and to find him, how do you have a great marriage? Look for the way, the truth, and the life. How do you have great relationships? There's a good way, truth, and life. Jesus is the way. He's going to teach us. He wants to teach us. He wants to show us how to live the right way. How do I live in this life? Jesus wants to show us, right? And it's interesting because he says, no one comes to the Father but through him. And we often really hear that, you know, I've often heard this really preached as like a, like a, you know, you're going to hell unless you find Jesus. And, and, and the Bible definitely clear, clearly says that. But that's not Jesus' point, right? Jesus says that I am the way through. He's trying to help us find that there's a path, that there's a way through. There's a way through all of it to find God. And it's through Jesus. And we have to, if we find him, look at, look at what he says in the scripture. He says, if you really know me, you will know my father, God. If you really know me, you will know God. Right? So you can get to know Jesus. God feels, that's why people get confused. It's like God feels distant. And in a sense, he is the father right? Because you have to go through Jesus to get to him, right? And people want to go to God, but they don't want to go to Jesus because Jesus means he's sacrificed and we have to give our life. 
And that's true. We do have to give our life in order to find Jesus and know Jesus and learn about Jesus. It's a relation. We have to relate with Jesus. But God sent his son so that we could relate to him. Right? From now on, you do know him. You can know God through Jesus. The truth can be really hard to find, can't it? It can be really hard to find sometimes. What is the truth in this scenario? But the closer you are to the living truth himself, the closer you are to finding the answers that you need. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't that encouraging? Wow, I found that very encouraging. Anyone else? Just wondering. All right. You guys are making us work hard today. So are you guys out there? Are you with us? All right, come on. That's good. Okay. All right, number two. What did Jesus say? He said he's the savior of the world. Say that out loud with me. The savior of the world. John 3, 16, verse seven, and 16 and 17 is some of my favorite verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus said this, right? He says, I came to be the savior. So when Jesus makes this claim that he's the savior of the world, the number one thing that you have to take from that is that Jesus, God himself, did not come to condemn you. God has not come to condemn your life. And a lot of people have a struggle coming to church, right? I know that many people aren't here because they felt condemned, right? And sometimes we don't come because we feel that God wants to judge us or that people want to judge us, right? And that we feel judged because we're judging ourselves or something like that. We feel condemned because of what we've done and who we are and who we aren't. Right, But God sent his son so that we would not be condemned. That is a radical transformation. Right? If you want to look at the difference between any other philosophical thought or religious thought in the world, God came so that we would not be condemned. Jesus came because of that. That's why God sent his son. And that idea is so profound. You will not find that anywhere else because only Jesus has that authority. Only Jesus has the authority to come into our life and bring us the power of God without condemnation, to bring us healing and help and hope and favor and blessing and the fruitfulness of God and the life that God wants to give us without condemnation, right? The Bible tells us that the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we've all sinned, we all deserve condemnation. Where else are we going to go? Jesus is the answer. He came to save us. I don't know what that means for you, but I know that in my life, I need to be saved. And there's a moment that everyone has, I believe, where they ask, God, who can save me from this life? Who can save me from this experience? Who can save me from this world that I'm living in? And the promise of Jesus is that he has come to save us, to be your savior, to be the one who can save you. Nobody else can do that. I can't do that. Your friends can't do that. Your family can't do that. Jesus can save you. Jesus can bring salvation into your life. God's desire is to bring us out of darkness and into light. And I know what that feels like because I lived in a deep darkness. And if you live in darkness, you know what that feels like. But sometimes we think it's just normal, right? And to come out of darkness into light is a transformation. When you get saved out of darkness. Have you ever been in a really dark place and you're like, I went for a walk this morning and I, I had my earbuds in. I was listening to some music and I pulled it out and I dropped it. It was pitch black. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, wait, I have a flashlight in my pocket. <laughs> so I pulled out my flashlight and I was like shining it around. And it was just, I had this experience of like this, this profound light in the darkness. 
And I, you know, I don't over-spiritualize it, but it just it meant something to me because I was so happy about it. I was like, I have light. And sometimes this world, it just feels like we're walking around blind and in the dark. And God wants to shine light on things. God wants to shine light into the dark places of your life to bring you closer to God forever. Right? Jesus came to be your Savior. And I want to encourage you to know Jesus as your Savior, not just as the way, the truth, and life, but to know him as your Savior because you have someone you can call out to in the times that you need to be saved. You have someone you can call out to. You say, God, I don't know what to do right now, right? I have no idea where to go. I don't know what to do. He's gonna stand with us. He's gonna stand there with us with a hand on our shoulder and say, hey, I'm right by your side. I'm gonna walk this through with you, right? Jesus is gonna walk it through with you if you let him, if you learn how to see Jesus as the savior. And he said that. He said, I have come to save you. I've come to save the world, not to condemn you. Isn't that exciting? We should be very happy about that. But sometimes we're like, ah, is God really going to save me again? Right? He did not come to condemn you. He came to save you. No matter how many times, no matter how, what, what, how, who, who, when, where, God came to save you and not to condemn you. And the third thing, he calls himself the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me would live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's a pretty strong claim, isn't it? Whoever believes in me, whoever lives, think about, look at what it says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Does that mean like, wait, you're physically never gonna die? You're spiritually never gonna die? Right? You're gonna go to heaven? What's it mean, right? Your belief in God will keep you from death, spiritual death, eternal death, right? When you come into God and you believe in Jesus, faith, the faith that you put into Jesus, right? And you're accepted into the kingdom of God. You now live in a completely different kingdom, right? Instead of a kingdom that's filled with death, which is the kingdom of the world we live in, right? You're gonna live in a kingdom of life. And even though you die, you will live, right? That's what it says, right? He believes in me will live even though they die. Your body will die, but your spirit will live, right? But, but look, it says, lives by believing in me. And God wants to challenge us to live in the resurrection life, right? What you believe about Jesus has an effect for eternity. The faith that you commit to Jesus, the life that you live believing in him has an effect for all of eternity. It's one of the biggest decisions you can make in your life and they don't even teach you in school right? It's one of the biggest, most powerful decisions you'll ever make in your life is what you believe about Jesus. Every historical book is written about it. Every philosophy and religion is written about it, and they don't even teach you in school. The most important decision you need to make in your life is what you believe about Jesus. That's why you got to come to church. <laughs> come to church and let us teach you about Jesus. Amen? Come on, that's why you need to bring your friends and your family so they can hear about Jesus. Right? This isn't a place to, to fill a seat so we can count, count another number. This is a place where people need to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. Right? So they can make a decision. They can make a faith-filled decision with Jesus and their life will be transformed. That's a powerful decision, isn't it? Teach it to your children, please. Eternity is at stake, right? But death is not the end. And I want to encourage you with that. Death is not the end. It's not the end. Your life matters. You know, they say, like, the only thing you can count on is death and taxes, right? You ever heard that statement? 
How cynical is that? It's not true. Right? It's the only thing you can count on maybe from the government. I don't know. But that's not my life. Is that your life? The government's not your life. They don't run your life. They don't own your life. Right? Your life is so much bigger. Right? God has given you purpose. He's given you hope. He's given you life. And it can be resurrected. Everything can be redeemed. If your life has fallen apart, it can be resurrected. That's why he says, I'm the resurrection. Right? Jesus was resurrected. It says that he led captives in his wake. Right? He led us out of and into new life. Right? And that's what it means to live with Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. And you may have lost, or you may have failed, or you may lose or fail. There may be some things in your life that fail or die, right? But God can redeem all things. And that's a powerful thing when you live with someone who can redeem the most lost things in your life. Amen? The fourth one is that Jesus said he is the son of God. John 10, 36 says, Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Jesus talking, right? Why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I'm God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. What I want to encourage you to really think about this is, yes, the church needs to carry on with the work of Jesus, of course. But if you just focus on Jesus first, you need to learn about Jesus before you learn about the church. You need to learn about who Jesus was and what he did the works of his father, right? Jesus did miraculous works that are recorded for history, right? He, besides his rise from the dead, he healed people, blind people, right? He healed people who were broken, healed people who had lifelong diseases, right? He came because Jesus in himself was bringing the power of the kingdom of God into our world. And when you live with the power of the kingdom of God in your life, when you know Jesus and you live in the power of what God wants to bring into your life, it's a completely different world. But you have to look and see and learn what did Jesus do. And I want to encourage you to learn about it, to read your Bible, to read the stories, to read about what Jesus did and see the miracles because Jesus did so many miracles. He performed amazing signs and wonders, right? Because he was the son of God. And if he was the son of God, if he was truly the son of God, that should impact us big time. That should be very relevant to our lives, isn't it? I remember when I first recognized that Jesus was truly who he said he was. And my first prayer was like, oh God, right? Oh man, I, I, I said a word I won't use right now, but I said, oh, if God is real, if God is real, oh my goodness, I need to know who he is. And I want to encourage you to find Jesus, to know who Jesus is, and to understand his perspective on your family, his perspective on your life. Many people have given up trying to find God because sometimes we go about it the wrong way, right? We just go about it the wrong way. We've got to find Jesus if you want to find God. We've got to find Jesus and find who he was, what he did, learn about him. It says, the scriptures that we've read, right, talks about how Jesus came to show us the Father, and if you want to know what God's about, you have to look to the Son. He was the model, the example that God sent to us so we could learn about him. Jesus is the center of all of it. If you want to know what God's central plan for your life was to bring Jesus into your life, right? that Jesus would come to the earth and would show us the example of how to live by the Holy Spirit, how to live with his Father, how to do the works of his Father so that we could learn from him and do it. It's, it is, is it that simple? Yes, it's just that simple, right? 
Jesus is the center. He's the one we have to learn about. He's the one we have to look to, right? And that's why the Bible is so important, right? Because it's a story about Jesus. You cannot... You can't think about learning about Jesus without starting at the book that God gave us to learn about Jesus. Now, why is the church so important? It's because it's the place that God created, that Jesus created, right? He said, teach them all the things I've commanded you, right? The church has been created to teach us about Jesus, right? That's why we're here is to learn and to teach others about Jesus. And they say that you always learn more when you teach, right? And that's why God commanded us to go and teach others about Jesus, Right, that each one of us would go out and be learn, learn enough that we could tell others about who Jesus was. See how it's all connected, right? It's all connected to Jesus Christ. It's all connected to who he was and what he was about. How can you know and understand God is you have to find that Jesus was the one that God came to send us to learn about him. And he calls us into his family to be a part of the family of God. And that's what it means to be a part of church. Jesus said many other things about himself, too, and you can learn about those. He called himself shepherd, called himself the gate, called himself the bread, light, and the darkness, right? So many things that you get to learn about in your Bible, right? And we'll talk about it on Sundays, of course, too, in the cell groups. But the other thing is to seek him in prayer, and I want to encourage you to come and pray with us. We're going to start 21 Days of Prayer. You heard about it, right? We're going to start this uh, Wednesday morning, am I, Tuesday morning, sorry, Tuesday morning. So please come and be a part of that. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have, uh, did they announce all the details of it? Okay, you heard about it all. Okay. But we're going to come and do, we're going to start this week. We're going to pray together. Why? Because we need to learn about Jesus. We need to learn about his perspective. We need to seek him. Let's stand up and read one last scripture to you, and we're going to pray. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Say it, all your heart. All your heart. Let me just recap these four things for you. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the savior of the world. He's the resurrection and the life, and he's the son of God. Is that relevant to the world that you live in? If Jesus is truly who he says he is, what does that mean for you and your family? What does that mean for your life? It's up to you to come find. It's up for you to come find Jesus and find how it fits into the life that you're living Let's pray. I want to give you guys a chance to respond. I want to give you guys a chance to think about it. If you would like to acknowledge Jesus in your life in a greater way, if you'd like to acknowledge God's perspective, Jesus' perspective about you, about your family, about himself, if you want to honor God, now's an opportunity. I want to give you a chance to honor Jesus for who he is. Maybe he's not someone that you and your family have traditionally honored for who he said he is. You've honored it for maybe what others have said he is or what you've just thought about him. But if you'd like to come into a moment of honoring him for who he says he is, I'd like to invite you to do that with me. Can we do that with me? Can you do that this morning with me? Can we honor Jesus? I want to invite you to lift your hands with me. And with your, with your words, I want to encourage you just to begin to honor him, to say things like, Jesus, I honor you. You are the son of God. I honor you for being God's son. You deserve all glory and all honor and all praise. I honor you for being the savior of the world. I honor you and I thank you, God, that you are the savior of the world, that you are who you say you are. You're the savior of my life and of this world. Lift your voice to him and say, God, I honor you for being the resurrection and the life that you resurrected, that you rose from the dead, 
and that I can rise from the dead with you, that you came to give me life and I can live a new life because of who you are, God. Lord, I honor you. I honor you for being the way, the truth, and the life that we can come to God. Thank you that you've made a path, that you've made a way for me and my family and, and my people to come into knowing you and to come into a right stand with God, that we can be close. I want to honor you for who you are, God. Maybe you want to speak about your family. Say, for me and my house, we are going to honor you, Lord. For me and my home, we are going to serve you. We're going to pray to you. We're going to look to you. We're going to honor you in our home. We're going to speak your words. We're going to read your words. We're going to read the word of God. We're going to speak the word of God. We're going to honor the presence of God. If you want that in your home, honor God around and say, God, I want to honor you in my home. I want to honor you in my household, that I would speak your word to my children. I would speak your word to my friends, that your ways, your higher ways, are going to be the ways I'm going to learn. And lastly, I just feel like I want to give us an opportunity to humble ourselves before God. I feel like this world that we live in is very proud against God. You know what I mean? Sometimes we can get caught up in it. Sometimes we can get caught up in what the world says about Jesus and what they think about Christians, and what they think about the church, and who Jesus and God is. And Mercy Church has an opportunity. Here in Santa Maria, right, we have an opportunity to honor God. You and your family, you're a part of this church, you have an opportunity to honor God. Right? All churches do, but you're here today right now. We're here together. We're a family. We need to have this opportunity to honor God in spite of what everyone else says, in spite of what anyone else thinks about God. Are we going to honor him for who he is and take on his view and his perspective? And if you'd like to join with me, we're going to do two things. First of all, we're going to repent. We're going to pray a prayer of repentance on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our city, on behalf of our family, our friends, our community, our culture. We're going to ask God to forgive us. And then we're going to declare that God is who he says it. That God is the God that we want in our nation, that we want in our city, that we want him. We want his power, his presence, his authority in our families. If you'd like to join that with me, would you please, would you please do that? May we come together. Let's, let's stand here together. Let's be a family together. Would you come stand here with me? if you'd like to do that with me. You're voting for Jesus with your feet, with your words, with your lifestyle. And I want to ask you to feel it in your heart from his perspective. Jesus came and died for our sins and yet the world is so proud against him. Even the church, even us, even me, I've done it. Have we, have we done it? Have we been so haughty is the word, you know, proud and kind of like, oh, God this, God that, you know? 
it's wrong, isn't it? It's wrong for me to do it. Is it wrong for you? Would you repent with me? Let's repent on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our city, on behalf of our families, on behalf of our lives. And let's just tell them we're sorry. God, we repent, Lord. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we've been so proud before you. We've told you who you are. We've told you. We've, we've said things to you and about you. We've spoken words. We've listened to them. We've listened to movies and to songs and to, to people who've talked badly about you. and We've agreed with them. Lord, we've, we've had a heart that was against you at times, and, and then we've spoken things about people, and we've spoken things and believed them about generations of people and about, about you know, the church or other churches or Christians or anyone, Lord, God, that you wanted to honor, but you have been dishonored by it, God, and we repent. We repent before you as your people, God. Here at Mercy Church, we repent before you, God. We, we stand before you with humility, God. And we say, Lord, we're sorry. We acknowledge it. We acknowledge that we have not given you the place that you need in our lives and in our families, or we've listened to those who do not instead of humbling ourselves before you. But right now this morning, right now this morning, we as families, we as people, we as this city, we as this nation, On behalf of this nation, on behalf of this city, we come and we humble ourselves before you, Lord, and we say, God, we repent. We're sorry, Lord. We're sorry, God. Sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for what my nation has said about you, God. I'm sorry for what our city has said about you, God. I'm sorry for what the schools have said, yes. I'm sorry, Lord, for what we've agreed about you, Lord for the things that we've treated you and the way that we've acted towards you. You have been so humble to us, and yet we've been so proud, and we acknowledge our pride before you, God, and we ask you, because we know that you're a forgiving God, we ask you this morning, Lord, we come to you and ask that you would forgive our nation, Lord. Forgive our city. Forgive our families. Forgive me, God. Start start a revival. Start with me, Lord. Start here with us, God. Start in my family. Would you revive us out of this pride and out of this arrogance, Lord? Would you help us to come out from this and to come into humility before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, before the Son of God and the Savior of the world, before the resurrected Son of God, before the truth of all truths? Lord, would you forgive us? (laughs) Would you come and heal our land, Lord? Come and heal our families. Come and heal us. Come and bring healing again. Come and do the works and the miracles that you do, Jesus. Come and be you. Would you come and be you in my life? Not who I want you to be. Let's ask that. Would you be willing to ask that? Come and be you, Jesus. Come and be you in my life. Don't don't come and be who I want you to be. Come and be who you are in my family, Lord, in my children's lives, in my parents, in my neighbors, in my friends, in my city, Lord, in my nation, in this nation, God. Would you come, Jesus? Would you come and be who you say you are? And would you change our view? Would you change our view to see it through your eyes, to see our lives and our lifestyles through your eyes, God? Maybe you want to do that. If you just want to 
You can put your hand on your eyes or on your head or your heart or whatever. And just say, God, would you give me a new view, a new perspective? Your view. God, your view. Your heart. Your sight. Your insight. Your perspectives, God. Give me your view of what sin is. Give me your view of what forgiveness is. Give me your view of what church is. Give me your view of what family, marriage, men, women. Give me your view of what life is, God, so that I could live a lifestyle that honors you and that is according to your ways. I want to adopt your ways. If you want that, just say it to God. I want to adopt your ways, God. Teach me your ways that I could live in your truth. Teach me your ways, Lord. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. I'm open, Lord.